Thank you, guys. That was awesome. I love the food pantry. That was one of the first things I saw at Cross Point, and I got to tell you, awesome, awesome, awesome ministry. And uh, this morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 16 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can always grab a pew Bible. Uh, It's right there in front of you. You can grab one of those, or you can just listen very, 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 very carefully uh, when I'm reading uh, the Bible. And uh, today marks a huge occasion, and I know you're thinking, I'm going to say that it is the 10th anniversary of 9-11, and you would be correct, but even more important than that is that our young Isaac Downing, who was just doing that very articulate interview and who does such a great job with our music, is 30 years old today, man. That's crazy. So he is no longer a child, and that's great. That's really good. And, uh, and uh, now he gets to learn what it is to be an old man and to start getting sore all the time and uh, learn that he's not invincible. Anyway, so uh, happy birthday to you, Isaac. And uh, today we are looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Our topic today, really our last topic in this series, The Ancient Past, is outreach. It's outreach. Or another word would be evangelism. Or another word would be missions. Or another word would be being a missional church. That's a trendy way to, to call it today, missional church being about missions. You are a missionary. We are evangelists. We are called to do the work of reaching out to reach people who do not know God and to be used by God uh, for them to come to know God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, to become disciples. And of course, you all are familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And today we're going to look at the salt and light parables of Jesus. Uh, You can look above me. You can see that Our mission statement as a church is we want to help people to discover and develop a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. So the outreach, missions, evangelism. And uh, so as we talk about that, let me just pray real quick for the message. And that way uh, God will kind of own me in in this moment. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your calling. And thank you for this uh, great passage in scripture. I just pray that You won't let me get in the way or distract uh, from what you're communicating to us as a church in particular and as individuals um, in a broadly way, uh, what you're communicating to us. So work in me um, and work through me to communicate to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Let me read it. Jesus says this, Sermon on the Mount, he's just done the Beatitudes. He says this to these people outside on the hillside. You are the salt of the earth. Now, everybody say, you are. Now, you know that in the English language, you cannot distinguish in that phrase whether you're talking to an individual or a group of people. You understand that? So, we can't, it's not appropriate grammar to say, you is. You know, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't talk like, you are, I could either be saying, Isaac, you are the salt of the earth, or I could be saying to you as a group, corporately, you are. Now, in the Greek, it inflects so that you can tell if he's talking to an individual 
or to a group. And so he's saying you are plurally. Uh, He's saying you folks, or as we say in Oklahoma, y'all. You all are the salt of the earth, you know. Y'all get it? Okay. So, so my application today is going to be to us mostly as a church. Now, we'll talk about individual stuff for sure. Definitely individual, personal discipleship application. But this is, Jesus is talking plurally and with emphasis to his community, to his people, to his church, to his body, to his bride. To the church. So, y'all are the salt of the earth. All right, I'll keep reading. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Y'all are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let y'all's light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, significantly, you will note that Jesus is calling his church and he's calling Christians the most significant people in the world And in the cosmos. He is saying you are the most important. If you're a believer. And if you're the church. You are the most important people in the world. Now. We got to be careful. How do we let that not go to our heads? Because that can, that can become a problem if we start walking in that like arrogantly like, yeah, I am the most important. We are the most important people in the world. Well, you got to understand context. Context is Jesus has just blessed them with the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And he's given these people who don't deserve God's grace, God's grace. He's made people who don't deserve to be a priority, he's made them his priority. Now, loved ones, you understand that what keeps us humble is that we remember that we were not lovely to God. Amen? We were not born right. We were born in rebellion. We were born impoverished in spirit. We were born spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus, despite ourselves, made us a priority even though we don't deserve it. And what he promised us in grace is he promised us a future inheritance. He promised us the kingdom of God. He promised even though we would weep in this world, we would be comforted in the next world. He promised us that we would have food enough to spare in the kingdom of God, that we would inherit all of the riches and resources of God's kingdom and new heavens and new earth. So he has spent the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount talking about future rewards for those who have experienced grace. And now he's talking about present responsibility and calling based on that grace. Do you get it? He's talking about the future, what you have by grace. And now he talks about your responsibility. And he says, I am making you the most important, significant people in the world. And you can see here, right, that he clearly says that the community that belongs to him exists not, primar- not secondarily, but primarily 
to be a blessing to the world. That the church exists, that the church community exists for mission. Do you see it? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Shine before the, before the world. And you can see the, the, the important part. He says, so that people will see your good works and give glory to your Father. In other words, the church, which is people called by Jesus by grace, exist. Get me. It's like the main purpose we exist is mission. The, the primary reason why we are together is not for ourselves because we have everything we need already in Christ. We are blessed, amen? It's not like we're coming here to negotiate with God for more blessing. That's not the purpose of the church. We don't come together and say, oh, I hope I feel better this week after going to church. We come together and we say, I am a missionary who is made to be salt and light to the... listen. A church not being about mission and evangelism and outreach is like Chick-fil-A not being about chicken. Amen? Are are you tracking? That's what Jesus is saying. He's comparing it to Chick-fil-A. Now, that's not local. Avantis. Avantis. It would be like Avantis being about chicken. Is that right? Because Avantis is Italian food with the sandwiches. Sandwiches? Avantis. Okay, so Avantis wakes up one day and says, we are not about Italian submarine sandwiches. Is that right? I don't know, but you get what I'm saying. And the problem is, is that the church can very easily begin to fall back into this posture and position of not being about the world for the world. John Piper, he tweets. (laughs) And he tweeted, that maybe we shouldn't say that we're, not, that we're not of the world, we're in the world. But maybe we should say we're not of the world, but we're sent into the world. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, G- I'll go even further. I'll say that the whole reason he saved you was so that you could glorify God by helping others glorify God. That's the whole reason why you got saved. You didn't get saved to have a better year. You got saved to be a missionary. Congratulations. You got saved to be on the front lines of the world and to be salt and to be light. And we, Cross Point Church, together, we exist for mission. For It's not, I'm getting all fired. I didn't get this fired up in the first service. Like, I don't know. I hope, I hope that's Holy Spirit, all right? But listen, I can't even remember what I was going to say. All right. The question is... <laughs> He's still a rookie. I don't know. I don't know. He's still a very young man, very wet behind the ears. He's green up there, man. He's green. Uh, How long has he been doing this anyways? All right. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You're to shine. And, And the question is how practically, practically, see, practically, How can we be a church that's all about outreach? How can we grow as a community that exists for mission? And there's three pictures here. We got to be the salt. We got to be the light. And we got to shine. We got to be the salt. We got to be the light. We got to shine. Have y'all seen that movie where, you know, they keep saying, do it. Do it. All right. He says, be the salt. Be the salt. Be the light. Shine. So, what's it mean to be the salt? 
We get practical help from this picture. Salt. You are the salt of the earth. Salt is two things, really. It's a preservative, all right? It, it, it preserves food. You, you rub salt in the meat for what purpose? So that it won't corrupt as fast. It slows down corruption in meat. It's also used as a condiment. It makes meat taste better. I mean, when I have a steak, I put salt on it, or I marinate it in such a way to where it's going to be kind of salty and and full of flavor. It's going to be tasty. So salt preserves. It slows down corruption, and it's rubbed in for this purpose. It's rubbed into the meat. It's not meat. It's not of the meat, but it's sent into the meat to slow down corruption and to make things taste better. Right? You are the salt of the earth. You exist as a church, and the divine salt shaker has scattered you about as the church. And everywhere you go, you're the, you're the church. You're like a little salty speck. And God has sent you out, and he sprinkled you on purpose in a very definite location at a very definite time. You exist to be rubbed into the world by God to slow down corruption and make life taste really, really good. Amen? We are. The, so how do we do mission? How do we be a missionary church? We come together and we say, God, we're worshiping you. We're receiving your grace. We're receiving what you've done for us now. Send us back out and help us to be the kind of people who slow down corruption and make life taste really good to people. Now listen. John Stott says this about John Stott, one of the greatest expositors of the Bible in the English spoken language, and he just went to be with the Lord this last month. But here's what I think this is very provocative. He says this on this passage about being the salt of the earth and the church being the salt of the earth. Let me quote him. Y'all listen up really carefully, okay? You with me? I just, you with me? You good? I just listen really carefully what he says. He says this. God intends us to penetrate the world. Christian salt has no business to remain snugly, I love this, to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat. To stop it from going bad. And when society goes bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is, Where is the salt? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the world's going to go bad because of original sin. The world's always been bad. It is not to, well, I won't use that metaphor, but the world has always been bad. And, and, And it is in the world's nature and in human nature to get corrupted and to go from bad to worse. So God is saying, the only thing left is for you to be the salt. And so we don't exist. We don't exist to, number one, this kind of confronts two things. Number one, it confronts a closet Christianity. 
A closet Christianity isn't assault. A closet church isn't assault to the world because, you know, closet Christianity is we come to church for our own self-interest. We come into our closet. This is the place where I hang my jacket. This is the place where I hang my coat. This is the place where I kind of do it my way. But it also confronts a shotgun Christianity, kind of gun in the gun rack and the... And, uh, we're going to go take the world out in Jesus' name and declare judgment kind of Christianity. I didn't use that in the first service. I shouldn't have used it in this service. Come it. I mean, listen, I grew, I grew, up, I grew up in Oklahoma, right? And we, we have farmers here too in our community and in our church, so we're kind of country folk. But I used to wear these... I used to wear boots and jeans, real tight jeans that were painted on. You know what I'm talking about? The Wrangler. And I had the big belt buckle and the cowboy hat and the, and the shirt. And I had a belt buckle. I'm not even joking. I had a belt buckle. It said, God, guns, and guts made America free. Right? And there's a Christianity that kind of shows up with its spurs and its big belt buckle and its hat. And it says, God, guns, and guts. And if you don't like God, guns, and guts, get out. You know what I mean? What's he saying? We don't exist to be a shotgun Christianity. We exist to penetrate culture, to help culture, to slow down corruption, to be helpful and useful, to serve people, to make life flavorable. Turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 29. Let me get real practical, all right? Real practical. This is the kind of people we have to be in a corrupting and corruptible society. We have to be salt of the earth. Practically, Jeremiah 29, I just think, just gets awesome on this very point. And I think this brings it home. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 and following. Of course, we're all familiar with verses 10 and 11. And 11 in particular, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But we forget verses 4 through 7. Phenomenal passage, electrifying, really. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 and following. This is what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to people, to, or to Babylon. Now, you see that he's talking to his people. God is talking to his people, and he has sent them from Jerusalem. They live in Babylon. Now, look up here real quick. Keep your places there. Babylon makes American culture look like Disney World. All right? We're not talking about kind of wicked. We're talking about totally sold out to wickedness on a scale that is unimaginable to us. I mean, this is Iraq. All right? This is Iraq. All right? This is where Saddam Hussein is. Okay? This is Babylon. All right? Verse 5. Here's what he says to his people to do in Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now, look up here. Keep your place there, but look up here. Oh, my gosh. God is telling his people in the most wicked culture that that the history of human beings has ever seen, where they do unspeakable crimes and wickedness. He is telling his people, live there, build houses there. 
plant gardens there, have babies there. What do we think of when we think of a wicked culture? We think, I don't want to have too many babies because I've got to raise these kids in this wicked, godless place. You know what I mean? We kind of get freaked out and we keep them home and we get all free. And he's like, no, keep having babies. Keep increasing. Do business. Have marriages. Live your life there. Verse 7. Now watch this. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray. Pray for their welfare. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, loved ones, I cannot think of a better illustration biblically of what it is to be salt than that right there. We too are exiles. Read 1 Peter chapter 1. We too are foreigners. We too are living in an evil culture. And what does it mean to be salt? It is a nonverbal, wordless witness to the world that we live out in how we do marriages. Listen, if you have a good marriage because of God, you will be salty. You will. People are struggling in marriage, and some believers are struggling in marriage. And we gotta, we got to surrender to God and say, God, help my marriage to be great so I can non-verbally communicate how good you are. we got to have children if God allows us. We need to have babies. Grant, encur- if you're a grandparent, encourage your kids. Have babies. Really pressure them. If they can, if God allows... They have babies. you got to have babies. Christians have a lot of babies. Why? Because we force them to be Christians. We do. I look at my four girls and I'm like, it's not an option. You are a Christian. Congratulations. You know what I mean? And then I send them to public. Now, I am the result and the product of public schools, so I know that's not encouraging. But I send my kids to public school and I tell them to pray and to love Jesus and to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile. And if somebody wants your shirt, give them. Don't take off your shirt. But they are to be a blessing in this world. We don't withdraw. We, we don't run for the hills. We don't go, oh. We engage. We penetrate. We are salt. God is sovereign, is he not? And sometimes we become practical atheists. And you know, want to know why I know we become practical atheists? Because we got good doctrine and good thought, theology, but we don't live it out because we're anxious. Every time you get anxious and you get scared of bad news and culture, do you know that in that moment you're saying that God's not in control? And every time you regret and you, and you curse your time and you say, I should have been born back in the 1920s as if that was any better... And you say, oh, I wish I wasn't born now. I wish my kids didn't have to be born. You're a practical atheist in that moment because God has put you exactly where you're supposed to be in exactly the culture. You're supposed to be in the 21st century. Your kids are supposed to live in this time. And you have to have hope and faith and show that faith and show that hope non-verbally. Sometimes the most powerful communication is non-verbal communication. Do you all know that? Communicating what you believe and how you're feeling is not just something that words do, is it? It's communicated non-verbally. I mean, you know, I've preached so many times. Do you know that you all communicate to me non-verbally every Sunday morning? Do you know that? I can tell when you're bored. And yes, I could tell when you're asleep. 
And it hasn't happened here at Cross Point yet. I mean, by the grace of God, it won't happen, but eventually it probably will. But I have preached to an audience, and I've seen people non-verbally absolutely cuss me out without using a word. <laughs> totally get upset at me. I mean, like, like, like they're doing this, and in their heart are cuss words. And I've almost been tempted to stop and say, stop cussing in your heart. You know what I mean? I've seen people communicate non-verbally by how they walk out of church in the middle of the sermon. And it's not just they kind of get up and go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm bothered in the middle. You know what I mean? Here you go, Martha. Duck down. Don't let anybody see you. Like, I've seen people go like, not only am I walking out, I'm going to make sure you see me. They're like, out. I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? I know when my wife likes my sermon, and I know when she doesn't. In the middle of the sermon, I could look at her, and she can be going, uh-uh, no. Being salt of the earth is our nonverbal communication to the world. And how does that apply to Crosspoint? We... Our identity as a church when we come together is God, make us salty. Make us hopeful. Make us believe. Make us believe again that you are working all things out for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. Help us to work out the truths of Scripture that a righteous man is unafraid of bad news because God is in control. Help us to believe that you are at work in people's lives even when sometimes we feel like Elijah. Remember Elijah when he got all depressed, you know, and he did this fancy deal. And then, and then, and then he's like standing before God and he's like, I'm the only righteous one left. And God makes him see. God's like, come up here. Come up here, buddy. Come here, little man. And he shows him how many people he has. That's salt of the earth. That's salt of the earth. We're hopeful people. We penetrate culture. We live society. We have good marriages. If you were to read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you would see that Jesus talks about that by grace... We are able, in his power and strength, we are able to go on the conquest of anger, lust, and infidelity. By God's grace, we are to avoid oaths, revenge, and hatred. And when we live without anger, lust, and infidelity, and we don't take oaths, and we don't take revenge, and we don't hate people, and we don't, we don't if you take my eye, I'm going to take off your head type of mentality, you're being salt. You're non-verbally communicating a gracious kingdom. You are the salt of the earth. Be the salt. Be the salt. The second thing is be the light. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. You are the light of the world. Be the light. Now, If salt is the nonverbal witness and outreach of a church community, light is the verbal and filled with words and truth meaning of our outreach. You are the light of the world. Light, often in the Bible, I found this this week, and I found it electrifying, 
But light often in the Bible refers to the instruction, the preaching, the teaching, um, the living out of the saying the truth, the using words and instruction and preaching. And so when we talk about be the light of the world, now we're talking about getting people to a place to where they actually hear the truth of the Bible and the gospel and Jesus. We are a church that exists for mission. So our goal is to get people and attract people by being the light to the light of the message. Now, we're going to do something that I do from time to time. I won't do this every week, but it's crowd participation time. Amen? All right. And uh, crowd participation, uh, don't worry. I'm not going to point out anybody individually. Don't worry. But I'm going to uh, read a montage of Bible verses, a montage of Bible verses. And after each verse, I'm going to point at you. And when I point at you, say amen. All right. You got it? So let me practice it right now. Okay, good. Very good. All right. Now, we're going to get verbal now. You're not going to communicate non-verbally anymore. You're going to communicate verbally. And all these verses refer to the light being the word of God or teaching or preaching. So listen for light and words or truth or Bible or whatever. So it starts with Proverbs 6, verse 23. All right, you ready? For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. Okay, good. Acts chapter 13, verses 47, 49. Now, the first service was kind of Pentecostal, so they did pretty good. And they're a lot fewer than you, so you need to jump up a little bit, but you're doing good. <laughs> it's okay. Acts, <laughs> Acts 13, verses 47 through 49. This is the apostle, important passage. Apostle Paul. And he's talking about his call from Jesus. All right. It says this. For the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, that's election, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Did you hear that? Light, word, teaching, preaching. Okay. Romans chapter 2, verses, I got three more. (laughs) This is why I went long in the first service. Romans chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. And if you were sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 and 9. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Now, did you hear that? What's darkness? If light is the word of truth, what is darkness? Empty words, bad teaching, bad worldview, bad ideas, lies. See, that's darkness. But what's light? The truth. It's the word. All right. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. One more. Last opportunity to become Pentecostal right here at Cross Point Church. Something that generations ago did not think was possible. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. That's nonverbal being salt, by the way. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. 
that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast, children of light, holding fast to the word of life. Woo, amen. You are now Pentecostal. Congratulations. All right. Now, the elders are like, oh, my God. We're not, I'm, not, I'm not being serious. I'm joking. Okay. So what's it mean? Go back to uh, Matthew 5, verses 14. What, what's my point? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Do you see? The way we are a missional church, the way we do outreach is we create and all of us participate together to be an attractive church where unbelievers begin to come. They come into our homes. They come into our church. And we don't hide the message, but we communicate the message in a way to where they understand it. We communicate the gospel and the truth of Jesus in Scripture to unbelievers in a way that they can understand it. And there is not one person in this room who is a believer in Jesus who does not have spiritual gifts, talents, something to contribute, something to actively do as a minister and a missionary to help cross-point, attract unbelievers into our homes and into our church so that we can communicate the whole counsel of God's will in a way that's understanding. We're not hiding it in obscure teaching or making it sound deep or making it theological or making it concise and precise and neat. We're just trying to communicate it in an understandable way. And we want people to hear the truth That's being the light. And Mark Driscoll has a church in Seattle. It's called Mars Hill Church. And he uses uh, language that I'm going to use all the time. But he says about this, he says that, that we as a church are involved in a war of intense fury. And the war is to win people in love to come and follow Jesus. And in this war, we have two campaigns. We have an air war and a ground war. And everybody is gifted and talented either in air war ministries or ground war ministries. What's the air war ministries? Air war is we're dropping the bomb of God's love through Jesus and the gospel in preaching, in singing. And we sing in a way, we do music in a way, just like today. It's awesome. We do music in such a way to where people in our culture will understand it, see. It's timeless truth with timely methods. Man, I'll tell you, I came to Jesus in a Methodist church. How many of y'all have a Methodist background? Anybody? All right, love you, my brothers, my Wesleyan friends, you know what I mean? At our church, church, and I still prefer this. Isaac, don't hold it against me. I prefer this. Our pastor wore a robe. Now, he preached like a Pentecostal, though. So he was like in a robe, but he ran around like this. He looked like a flying angel. He looked like Darth Vader or something. Big Methodist robe, and he's like, Jesus. You know what I mean? And I was like, that guy is the coolest. That's how I got called into ministry. I was like, I'm going to do that. I wanted to wear a robe. I still do. You say, why aren't you wearing a robe? Why is your shirt all untucked? Well, number one, it's just the way I dress. But number two, it's going to be hard to be a light 
wearing a robe. It's going to be hard for people to, to identify with that. We sang songs. I still like them. Minor key Jewish messianic songs. I'm not even joking. It was like dun, 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 dun. Tear down the wall. It's like minor key, right? But it's upbeat. <laughs> Have you ever heard those songs? Do you know what I'm talking about? It sounded like we were in synagogue, but celebrating Jesus. It was crazy. And people were fired up. I would, if I heard it today, I would weep. I would weep in worship. But why don't I demand Isaac to do Jewish songs in minor keys, fast beat? Because that's not our culture. See, it's not timely. We, we do things. So there's air war. There's singing. There's playing bass. There's, there's uh, graphics. There's computer stuff, soundboard stuff, uh, uh, computer stuff, internet stuff. We're going to do the city. That's going to be kind of an air war thing. But then there's ground war. It's the stuff that nobody sees that we do as a church that helps to attract people like a children's ministry. What's the most important thing to people who don't know Jesus, but they live in our culture? What's the most important? In fact, it's almost too important to them. They're kids. And you know where they choose to go to restaurants? They choose to go to restaurants that are children friendly, true or false. I do. I've got four kids. If you don't have crayons and like a thing at your restaurant, I'm not coming. I'm not going to eat. Now, is it right that they put their children before God, that their children are idols, that their children are so valuable that they spin and spoil? And didn't, No, it's not right, but see, see, they're meat. And we have to slow down the corruption and share the light of the gospel with them. And we've got to have people. We cannot be underserved in the children's ministry. That's crazy talk. If you want to be an outreach missionary with Cross Point Church, and if we're going to be a church community that exists for mission, we have to have you. If you're a parent and you're a believer in Jesus, you've got to help out the children's ministry. you just got to. And we've got to do a good job with it. Because when people who don't know Jesus come and their kids have a good time and they're taught something that actually has some substance, but they're having a good time, God's going to use that so that they'll begin to make God more of a priority in their life than their children, and that'll be the greatest blessing that could ever happen to their kids. See, We're a missionary church. We're not about our self-interest. We're not coming here to see what we can get. We have everything that we could possibly need or want in Jesus Christ. We are incredibly rich with every spiritual blessing. The only thing left for us to do is to serve air war, ground war. You know what ground war is? It's people open up their homes so that we can do life groups in homes. That's ground war. Nobody sees it. Nobody knows it. Nobody will ever thank you or put a plaque up there or talk about you like they talk about the pastor. So godly, you know, he is so godly. And they'll never know that you did far more in opening up your home for hospitality every week for a life group so that people could come and cry and eat chips and chicken wings and drink, hopefully, most of the time, non-alcoholic beverages, you know. (laughs) Not that I'm against alcohol, but I'm just thinking that shouldn't be a priority in our life groups. It is. But people will do ministry there that will, and people will be changed, see? And they'll hear the truth, and they'll talk about the truth. And you have a spiritual gift. You have a calling. You are a minister. You're a pastor. You're the one. You're the evangelist. It's not about the professional standing up here with a seminary degree and let's take them to him. I mean, it is about you doing something to help us to be a missionary church. Now, 
Listen, if you missed Wednesday night this last week, you got to come this Wednesday. I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts. And according to those spiritual gifts, you can decide if you got gifts that air war gifts like teaching and preaching and, and singing and all that stuff. Or if you got spiritual gifts like mercy and hospitality and serving. But you got to find out what your spiritual gifts are. And you got to be the minister of the church. You got to be the church. Nobody else. You and me, we're all being the church. Because... You are the light of the world. And as people see it from a distance, see, they see it from a distance up on a hill, and then they'll start traveling up, and they'll see something going on because there's an air war, and there's a ground war, and they're hearing about ground war stuff because people are being ministered to, and they'll come closer and closer. And then when they get in the house, and they come into our house, and they're sitting where you're sitting right now, you know what begins to happen? We don't hide it. We say this is what the gospel is, and God blesses them and saves them. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And Jesus says, shine. Now, we'll talk about that next week. I went too long, so I can't finish this sermon, so I'm going to finish this sermon next week. But, you know, I just want to close with this. Today is the 10th anniversary of 9-11, right? And we, we remember that day, and we, we pray for those families who lost people. This is a tragic day. How many of y'all can remember where you were at on 9-11? Man, I mean, it's just one of those moments. I was living in Chicago, going down Lakeshore Drive, um, and I kept looking up at the Sears Tower because I was worried that maybe it would get attacked too. I mean, it was just a bizarre, surreal day. And, um, but the one thing, what's some of the lessons we've learned from 9-11? And the main lesson we've learned is this, is that tragedy does not change the world. That observing tragedy in the world doesn't change human nature. It doesn't change things. Temporarily, things were changed after 9-11. Like, for like a week, we were sane politically. Like, for a week, we were sane comically. For a week, we were sane musically. Like, for a few weeks, uh, hard rock radio stations wouldn't play certain songs. They actually censored themselves. Like, for example, they stopped playing Metallica's Seek and Destroy. That's a good idea, amen? That's a sane idea. Or Stone Temple Pilots, you know, blow up the outside world. They didn't play that for a while. That's a good idea. But did it last? Because tragedy doesn't change the world, and tragedy doesn't change human nature. Do you know the only thing and the only person who can change human nature is Jesus Christ? The only person who can change, the only thing, legislation can't change human nature, but Jesus can. And it's his gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection communicated through the word directly to the heart by the Holy Spirit and renews and awakens a dead heart that changes people. And that's why Jesus says, you're the hope of the world. Because I'm going to do that in people's lives through you. And if 9-11 teaches us anything, it teaches us this world needs the church to act like the church and to be missionaries. And it would be really sad if your favorite football team tried to play basketball, wouldn't it? And it'd be really sad if your favorite restaurant started trying to act like a country club. And it's really, really sad when Christians aren't missionaries and they don't penetrate culture and want people to come and know God. 
It's really sad. We got to, we got to be a missionary. So, so I'm going to talk about the rest of this next week, and I'm real fired up about it. Come Wednesday night if you can. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, let him change your heart. We have resurrection power. So believe in him. Let's pray. God, it was you who decided that we exist as a community for mission. Help us, give us wisdom. Help us to be the salt. Help us to be the light. And Lord, go ahead of us. Prepare people to receive our ministry. We would be so encouraged to see new people get baptized, to see new people grow and begin to develop a new relationship with Jesus. We would be so excited for our connection cards to be filled up with people who say, I had no idea how sinful I was, but I had no idea how much I'm loved by God. I'm in. I believe in Jesus. We would be so excited if because of our children's ministry, uh, parents came and heard things that they never would have heard otherwise, or as the result of our greeters ministry, or as the result of of our life groups, that, that people came to know and grow and become disciples and followers of Jesus. God, use us as a revival, as a source of revival. Use us as a as a means of awakening. Use us for mission. Help us to repent of our personal sin. Help our families and our children and our marriages, not for our own sake, but for the sake of our saltiness and our ability to be the light. Continue to lead and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.